How tough am I? How tough am I? I had a bowl of nails for breakfast this morning. <laughs> yes, so? Without any milk. Get your calendars ready. The 2018-19 Wheeling Nailer schedule has arrived. Welcome into episode number five of the Toolbox. I'm your host, DJ Abacella. Coming up on this week's program, the main topic of conversation, of course, will be that schedule. We'll go in-depth in the Nailers' 18-19 campaign, give you some of the highlights, and we're going to talk to the man who made it all a reality, Joe Babick, the Director of Communications for the ECHL. It is his responsibility to make the schedule year in and year out. As we do on each episode, we will take a stroll around the playoff pictures in the ECHL, the AHL, and the NHL. A rare fight during warm-ups before one of the games in the ECHL. We'll tell you how that came to be and what the results of it were. And on our Where Are They Now segment, we focus on a former Thunderbirds player who gets to go back to where it all began as a junior hockey team has made its way to the MasterCard Memorial Cup. Let's dive right into this thing, and as you probably could have expected, our new segment today focuses on the 2018-19 season schedule for the Nailers. One of the things that I've noticed over the past few days since the schedule came out earlier this week, I think the one main fact of it that fans are pointing out is the later home start, and it's actually the latest home start in team history, as the Nailers will play their home opener on Saturday, November 3rd, against the Indy Fuel. As we talked about it on the show a few weeks ago, the reason for that is because the monster trucks are coming into West Banco Arena in October, and when the monster trucks come in, the ice has to come out. We don't just cover the ice for monster trucks. It comes out completely. So the Nailers will ultimately start on the road. They'll play their first four games away from the friendly city. They'll be in Norfolk on Saturday, October 13th, then to Cincinnati the following Saturday before a two-game series against the Reading Royals on the road. Looking at this schedule, I think one of the highlights of it and one of the big positives of it is, of course, the amount of times in which the Nailers play within their division. Last season, Wheeling played 36 games against North Division teams. That was actually up from the year before. This year, Wheeling moves to the Central Division, and there are 43 of the 72 games against the Central Division. So you're more than half but it's not so much, and I've heard a few teams already. In fact, the Atlantic Gladiators play 67 of 72 games within the South Division, which, hello overkill, that is an absurd amount of games to play against just six different opponents. We only have five different opponents, remember, in the Central Division because there's only six teams. It's Wheeling, Cincinnati, Toledo, Kalamazoo, Indy and Fort Wayne. The most of those out of the teams is Indy, which the Nailers will see 11 times, and that one made you scratch your head when you first looked at it, too. No, you're not seeing things. There are, in fact, nine home games against the Fuel and just two trips out to Indiana Farmers Coliseum. And then the rest, it's a perfect number. Eight each against Cincinnati, Toledo, Kalamazoo, and Fort Wayne. Enough so that there are big, important games. You can build a rivalry, but not so much where it's going to be overkill, and you're going to get sick and tired of seeing teams. Usually, I think that 8-10 to 10 range is just perfect. Plus, the Nailers also get to keep their rivalry with the Reading Royals. They'll play them eight times this year, four times at West Banco Arena, and four times out in Reading, Pennsylvania. Some of the other highlights of the schedule... You always look at the ECHL about your dates, and for the Nailers, they won on this one. 
30 of the 36 home games will be played on either weekends or holidays, and holidays being Thanksgiving Eve and New Year's Eve primarily as we look ahead to this year's schedule. So that obviously is a big win. And of course, we have the two Education Day games as well for the second year in a row. Some of the other opponents that are pretty cool, we finally get to see, and you remember I harped on this a couple of weeks ago, how we hadn't seen the majority of the teams that we played en route to the 2016 Kelly Cup Final. Well, we've seen Reading every year, but now... We get to have South Carolina on the schedule for the first time since Game 7 of the Conference Final in 2016. We go there. They don't come here, but that will be very cool. First time we'll be there since that memorable Game 7 when the Nailers received the Eastern Conference Championship Trophy. That'll be in November. And we finally get our finals rematch, too, which this is terrific. And it's a home game, a Wednesday in the middle of December when the Allen Americans return to Wheeling, West Virginia. So that will certainly be a fun one for us. Utah is coming back. Utah's come for a couple of two-game series in previous years, so they'll be in for a one-off in January and we get to go to two brand new cities in the ECHL this year one of them is completely new to the league that's Portland Maine where I'm from and where former Nailers assistant coach Riley Armstrong is the head coach of the Maine Mariners that will conclude a three-game weekend series in February when the Nailers will also see the Manchester Monarchs and the Worcester Railers and part of that trip in November when we go to South Carolina it actually starts out with a game against the Jacksonville Ice men on Friday, November 16th. So that will be the Nailers' first trip to Jacksonville to take on the Icemen. They had played Jacksonville previously uh, against the Jacksonville Lizard Kings back in the late 90s and early 2000s. So very excited to see what Jacksonville will present. I've heard the arena is very close to the Jacksonville Jaguars football stadium, so that should certainly be a hopping downtown, and we'll have the Thursday night in there before the game on Friday to check things out, which, as you well know, I love getting a chance to see some new cities. Greenville is the final city on that three-game trip in November. So all in all, I, I think you have to be pretty pleased with the schedule this year for the Nailers. You have good balance. You have good variety. And one of the biggest things when you're looking at Wheeling, our location is so beneficial for building a balanced schedule where we can have a good chunk of division games against the five teams I mentioned earlier, but we're also close enough where Reading we can do a lot. We can still play Brampton a fair share. Adirondack isn't too, too far away. We go there a couple of times. Norfolk is still reasonably close. We can play them four times there this year and once at home. The South isn't extremely far away, so there's certainly a lot of opportunity that presents itself when you are kind of that centralized team between the Eastern Conference and the start of the Western Conference. Looking forward, now we have the schedule out, so be on the lookout in the coming weeks slash month or so for our promotional schedule. That's always exciting. We have some fun new twists to that coming out this year. That will be coming out along with our flex plans, which of course is a great way to take advantage of all the best promotional games of the year. And you know what? It shouldn't be too much longer until we have a new head coach to announce too. I know that a lot of fans are looking forward to that as a big milestone event of the 2018 summer. Looking around the league in the ECHL playoffs, 
Both series got off to 1-1 starts and both currently sitting at two games to one. Florida leading Adirondack and Fort Wayne up on Colorado. Adirondack is holding very tight with the Everblades as I thought Florida would be the stronger team in that series, but Adirondack's not going to go away quietly. And Fort Wayne has done a nice job uh, by taking that 2-1 to series lead after losing game one to the Eagles. But uh, the highlight of the ECHL Conference Finals so far, and I don't know if this is a highlight necessarily, but we'll go ahead and call it that. At least the thing that made the most news was a fight during warm-ups of Game 2 between the Comets and the Eagles. And, ugh. Look, I love fighting as much as the next guy. You can hear me call a fight. I will get myself right into it. But in warm-ups, there's no reason for it. And the ECHL sees it that way as well. As you saw, the suspensions come out. Five games for Verpass of Colorado. Five games for Gravchenko of Fort Wayne. And those were the two players that got involved with the first fight. Essentially started the thing and then three games each for the second pair of fighters, Maggio of Fort Wayne and Rattel of Colorado. Again, there's no reason for it in warm-ups. Are you trying to send a message like there's no purpose to it? You don't need to tell the guy that you're going to slam him up against the wall or, or beat his face in, whatever. Go out, warm up, be smart, and then you got 60 minutes to literally bury somebody if you so desire. There's no real need for it in the warm-ups, and it's good to see that the ECHL saw it that way as well. Not that I'm surprised they did, but setting that tone that warm-ups is not the time and place for a fight. And the rule book also, by the way, is very clear about not fighting uh, when it's outside of the three periods of play. AHL quickly, your final four are set there. Toronto Marlies, that's, of course, the Maple Leafs AHL affiliate. Lehigh Valley Phantoms, that's the Flyers AHL affiliate. Lehigh Valley, very surprisingly, five games made quick work of the Charlotte Checkers, including that five-overtime game, which wasn't quick that we talked about last week. In the Western Conference, it's the Texas Stars. I'm sure you can put two and two together and figure out that they're a Dallas affiliate. And the Rockford Icehogs, who were 7-0 in the first two rounds of the playoffs. They're a Chicago Blackhawk affiliate. So one of those teams will be raising the Calder Cup this spring. In the NHL, Washington and Tampa, a very competitive series. Road teams have the advantage early on, and Winnipeg and Vegas as well. Vegas leading that series two games to one. But I don't really want to talk too much, although we will get into some detail on some neat notes about the teams in the NHL playoffs. So much as I want to talk about the experience and the excitement generated by the pregame show in Vegas, which is incredible. You watch it. I literally, I love what the Golden Knights have done on the ice this year. I appreciate it. I think it's terrific. It sets the bar high for future expansion teams, future leagues moving into Las Vegas. But I sat there leading up to game three, licking my chops, wondering how are they going to top what they did in round two for their pregame show, and my goodness, the skit was out of control, amazing. It's online, if you have a chance to go watch it, I strongly suggest doing so. You had the Winnipeg guy get ripped into midair, and then you had all of the uh, video shown on the ice with the jet, and then the jet explodes, and the fireworks shoot out from the castle, I mean, 
holy cow, it is literally the best show, and I think it's better than anything you will see for a sporting event, even put Super Bowl halftime shows to shame. So Vegas, keep doing what you're doing, and along with the fact that it's just a great story with an expansion team doing well, I hope they beat Winnipeg because I want to see what they have cooked up for us in the Stanley Cup final when all eyes are on them. That would be out of this world cool. I talked earlier about wanting to get into it with the teams a little bit, the Final Four in the NHL. And interesting to point out, we talked about last week how the cities hadn't really experienced success in a while, Tampa Bay being the only team of the four that has ever won the Stanley Cup. But it's also cool to note how quickly these teams are rebounding. Tampa Bay missed the playoffs last year. Winnipeg missed the playoffs last year. Vegas didn't even exist. Washington won just one round. And on the flip side of that, Ottawa, who went all the way down to being a goal away from advancing to the Stanley Cup final before Pittsburgh beat them in overtime of Game 7 last spring, they finished 30th out of 31 teams in the NHL this year, so they went in the complete opposite direction. And I think a big reason for that is Sports are getting younger, which we know. There's players coming up. You're getting drafted. You're getting thrusted right into the lineup right away. You see it every year where you have those rookies at the beginning of the year. Heck, even the end of the year when Ryan Donato joined the Boston Bruins going towards postseason play, where it's not out of the realm of possibility to see a guy finish his college career now and just slot right in to an NHL lineup. Windows for success are getting smaller. That's why Pittsburgh going back-to-back like it did was so impressive. And then there's also tons of parity where you can see a team miss one year and then all of a sudden the next year they're probably playing for a chance to go to the Stanley Cup final or going the other way around. So it it makes it very exciting, and it also makes it so that there aren't huge gaps. Uh, You had that stretch there where Edmonton went almost 10 years without even making the playoffs. I don't think you're going to see those big gaps last much longer. You may see them top out at five, six, maybe seven years because teams are figuring out how to rebuild it quickly and utilizing their minor league organization and their drafting to rebuild with good prospects very quickly. Quick look at the IIHF Ice Hockey World Championship. Scott Darling went 2-0 in goal for Team USA, and they have advanced to the semifinal round, so congratulations to them. They beat the Czech Republic in the quarterfinal round. Freddie Tiffles had two goals in seven games for Team Germany. Unfortunately, they did not make it into the medal round over there in Denmark. And finally, before we turn it over to our interview with ECHL Director of Communications, Joe Babick, we need to tell you about where are they now. And today's focus is on a former Thunderbird player. That is Tim Tisdale, who played with the team from 1992 to 96. He is the all-time leading scorer in Wheeling hockey history and a fun story with him he currently serves as the color commentator for the western hockey league's swift current broncos who are playing in the mastercard memorial cup which starts this weekend in regina saskatchewan it's back where it all began for tim who scored the overtime goal for swift current to win the 1989 memorial cup 
for Swift Current against Saskatoon in another Battle of Saskatchewan. The only other time that Swift Current went to the Memorial Cup was in 1993 when it lost the tiebreaker game to Laval. So I'm sure a really neat moment for Tim Tisdale getting to be there and see his Swift Current Broncos in their home province of Saskatchewan. And obviously there's been a lot going on in Saskatchewan, especially recently with the tragedy of Humboldt. And as a matter of fact, Swift Current experienced a bus tragedy when Tim Tisdale played for them back in the late 80s so it kind of all comes together and we certainly wish him and the Broncos all the best in their quest for the Memorial Cup the host city is Regina and then you also have Hamilton from the OHL and Katie Bathurst from the QMJHL so it should be a lot of fun a great tournament you can catch some of that on NHL Network. With all the talk about the Wheeling Nailers schedule on this week's episode, it's time to bring in our guest. And one of the questions that I am asked all the time is, is it a computer that makes the schedule or is it an actual human being? Well, it's an actual human being, and we're fortunate enough to be joined by that person today. It's the ECHL's Director of Communications, Joe Babick. And Joe, this is, has to be probably the most scrutinized position in maybe the entire league. How do you end up getting the job of putting together the schedule? Uh, you're not very well liked. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, it's, uh, it's one of those things that, uh, you know, it has to be done. Somebody's got to do it. And uh, several years ago, it was done by an outside company. And uh, we brought it back in-house uh, about five years ago uh, when Jeff Savatsky was here. I helped him put it together. And then when Jeff left, I kind of took on the heavy lifting, and Dan Petrino uh, is my right-hand guy when we put it together. So it's uh, it certainly is challenging, and uh, it's not a fun three- to four-month project, but uh, it's got to get done. Someone's got to do it, and Dan and I are, I guess, the, the lucky two people who have the task to, to get it done. Three to four months is how long this thing takes to put together. You have 72 games for now 27 different teams. How do you get things started, and how does the process go as you move along to the finish line? Uh, by January 1st of each year, each team is required to submit their 60 available dates that they have for the following season to us, as well as uh, the scheduled narrative, which is a document where uh, it basically covers uh, runs the gamut of everything that uh, uh, the schedule will entail. Um, you know, your 10 dates, uh, ranking your top 10 home dates that you really like to have. Um, your road travel preferences, uh, the eight quote-unquote holiday dates we have, you rank in order. Uh, the holiday dates uh, basically are what they sound like. It's holidays uh, during the season, so like opening Saturday, uh, the Friday after Thanksgiving, the Wednesday before Thanksgiving, uh, the weekend before Christmas, St. Patrick's Day, New Year's Eve, uh, you know, the eight or nine dates there. Those get rated if you have them available how you want them. So those come in by January 1st, and then uh, – Usually after the All-Star game, we'll start the process. We'll do a, a call with each team, uh, about a 10- or 15-minute conversation with each team just to uh, make sure we have all the information we need, answer any questions uh, that may come up. And then usually about the first week of February, uh, we'll start uh, the process of putting the games up on the board. And when I say the board, it's basically it's what it sounds like. It's a big board broken into grids uh, with magnets. Each team has a, uh, a color and a shape, and uh, it runs. We have the teams going down from top to bottom on the left side and then going across left to right. Uh, we have each day of the season, so we know what, uh, what dates each team has available. 
Uh, we mark on there the priority dates and uh, a lot of moving pieces, uh, literally, throughout the process, but that's uh, that's how it gets done. I would love to say it's done by computers, but uh, it's, uh, it's not. It's all done uh, by eyesight and by hand and certainly adds to the... Uh, the challenges and the drama and all the all the fun that comes along with it. That has to be one huge board to go every single day from the middle of October to the middle of April. One thing interesting that I noticed that you mentioned in there were the team's preferences and travel. And obviously you take into account how many times you want a team and make sure that they're playing in division. But do you have certain goals that you begin with of how many division games you want each team to have or if you want a certain team to maybe go somewhere new on a given year? Uh, I wouldn't say we start with a with a you know a, a stringent idea. I mean, we kind of know what teams want. We try to, you know, the goal is to fill as many Fridays and Saturdays for every team as possible because obviously that's uh, where the money making comes from. So we try to make sure every team, you know, gets as many Fridays and Saturdays as we can get them. Some teams like Sundays. Um, so like our friends in Brampton, we try to get them as many Sundays as possible. Um, and then as far as divisional games, you know, it basically just comes down to, you know, geography and divisions. And, you know, you guys are a perfect example because even though you were in the North Division this past year, you still played a good bit of, you know, the Toledos, the Cincinnati's, the Indies, the teams that are close. And that's going to help you guys moving forward going into next year when you're when you're back in that division. So uh, we don't have a strict guideline of the number of division games for each team, but, I, you know, it basically breaks down that most teams are going to play 75 to 80% their games within their division just based on geography and the lay of the land and uh, and that kind of thing. Fridays and Saturdays are obviously the big keys for teams. They want to load up. If every team could, they would probably have all 36 of their home games on a Friday or a Saturday. But what's another top request that you get from teams? Is it rivalries or is it more geared towards days of the week? Um, it's a little of both depending on the team. Some teams, uh, well, you know, there's certain teams who want to play as many teams as possible and you know, maybe not play, you know, the division teams 12, 14 times. There's other teams who like playing the division teams, you know, a lot and getting that rivalry. Um, so as far as uh, a mix, it, it really depends on the team and the preference as to what they want there. As far as uh, certain times of the year, there's, you know, always teams who want to be home between Christmas and New Year's because they see that as, as a good time, because uh, even though it might be a Thursday or a Sunday, uh, there's not much other stuff going on. There's no school, so families are always looking for things to do. And uh, it always seems without fail. No one wants to open at home opening weekend. They want to start their season at home as late as possible, but everybody wants to close the last weekend of the season. So uh, every every team wants to close that last Saturday, so obviously that can't happen. So a lot of moving around there. So, and, and you know, you and I both know that, you know, you're making your, it's hard to compete against high school football, college football in October, November. So I get it, but at the same time, you know, we do need teams to play at home early in the season or else, you know, Every team's going to be playing six games in eight days in February and March, and that's not good for anyone. Well, everybody can be jealous of the Wheeling Nailers because we are the team that opens at home the latest in the ECHL <laughs> in 1819. So that's a big win for us. What about the balance? And this is always a fun one because at the end of the day, there is a business aspect of it, and you want to succeed and make money, and obviously you want to focus on those good dates for ticket selling purposes but at the same time like you said six games eight days or however it is you don't want to kill the players and be throwing three and threes down their throats all season how do you balance that um it definitely is a delicate balance because obviously you know if you're playing 
you, you know, it's a weekend league. I mean, let's not uh, hide that subject. Everybody wants to play the Fridays and Saturdays, and we would love to have every team, as you said, play, you know, 30, 31 Fridays and Saturdays, but it just isn't uh, possible because of availability and uh, odd amount of teams and, and whatnot. So, I mean, we try to not overburden it. So if we see a team's played a 3-3, three and three, you know, two weeks in a row, we're going to try our best to not give them one, you know, that third week or have them play four games in five nights and have some travel involved. So that's where I, you know, hearkening back to what I said earlier about a lot of moving around, you know, when we do the schedule on the board, we'll start, you know, the first weekend and go through. But as we're going through, you know, we'll go back and move some things around, you know, changing opponents, changing balance, trying to make sure that, uh, you know, teams aren't playing a three and three, you know, three weekends in a row or four out of five or something like that. So it's we try our best to, to make sure it doesn't happen. Now, is it going to happen at some point? Yes. You know, every team's going to have a stretch in the season where, you know, they're not overly happy, whether it's, you know, a lot of home games bunched together or some tough travel. But you know, at the end of the day, every team's going to have one or two scenarios throughout the season where they're not happy. And, you know, the goal is to, over the course of the 26 weeks, make sure it's, you know, not, you know, those two or three scenarios don't pop up, you know, back to back to back. They're kind of spread out, you know, maybe one in October, one in February. So the the it's spread a little bit more there so you're not overburdening some teams, you know, in a in a quick turnaround. Out of the 72 complaints you get every year, what's the number one most popular one? <laughs> More Fridays and Saturdays. I mean, everybody everybody wants more Fridays and Saturdays. You know, that's definitely number one, number two, number three on the list. And, you know, as I said, we try our best, but, you know, there's 27 teams and 27 different buildings and, you know, uh, stretching now from St. John's, Newfoundland to Boise, Idaho. So it's uh, it certainly is a challenge to make, to make it happen. We do our best, but, you know, if we could give every team 36 Fridays and Saturdays, like you said, my life would be a lot easier. Is there a number two? Uh, yeah, I, I, I mean, it's tough to say because, as you said, each team has different preferences. So for some team, it might be, you know, we want to see, you know, different teams. Other teams, like, we want to see teams more. So it's tough to say that, that there's a – the Fridays and Saturdays definitely are number one. And then as far as number two, it really does depend on, on the team's – specific preferences more than anything. There's not really a standout number two as that I can easily identify as the number one being the Friday, Saturdays. How willing are owners to try different things? And maybe you give them an idea. Like here in Wheeling last year, we did two education day games for the first time. And, and obviously we kind of ran into a weird scenario, but we're going to do it again this year. Do teams have scenarios like that? And uh, maybe can you give an example of one? Um, I think the education day is a good one because there's a lot of teams who haven't done it in the past, and going into this year, there's uh, three or four teams who haven't done it before who are going to try it this year. So I think, uh, you know, you guys have had a lot of success with it. Uh, Toledo obviously has had a lot of success with it, as have uh, Kalamazoo and Cincinnati. Your division seems to be uh, at the forefront of it. Indy did it this past year for the first time, and they had some success with it. They're doing it again. So uh, going into 18-19, Allen's going to do it for the first time. Uh, Wichita's going to do one for the first time. Atlanta's going to do one for the first time in a few years. Uh, I think Redding's trying one, too. So the education day really seems to be catching on around the league as uh, – as the up and coming promotion and you know i you know i think every team should try one because you're hitting a different market and you know we all have these tuesday and wednesday games that you know we all struggle to sell so why not try and open it up to a different market and you know get you know four or five thousand kids screaming in there as opposed to you know 2300 on a tuesday night in february why not give it a shot and see if it works and i think most teams are seeing a lot of success with that here over the last four or five years 
it's a three or four month process, as you talked about at the beginning. You're bound to make a mistake. You're bound to bang your head off a wall in frustration. What are some of the more comical things that happen? Do you ever put a team in the same city or in two different cities on the same day? Have you ever had someone have a ridiculous road trip where you go, that can't happen? Yeah, we every year it goes without fail that we'll we'll see it. And we go through the entire schedule, and then we'll start putting stuff in, into the Excel file on the calendar, and that's where you identify some mistakes. But we'll we'll see sometimes, like for instance, this year uh, we had Atlanta out west. Um, they're playing in Rapid City in February, and at the same time we had them playing in Greenville on this on the Thursday. So we you, know, you can't play in Rapid City on a Wednesday in Greenville on Thursday and go back out to Rapid City for the weekend. So fortunately, uh, you know. Most of it does get caught before it goes out, uh, but when you're dealing with uh, you know just your eyes and magnets and everything, sometimes things do get overlooked. But uh, uh, fortunately, we're able to catch most of that stuff before it uh, before it goes out, and teams start reviewing it. At the end of the day, I know it's a lot of work and a very diligent process, but can you at least enjoy some of it? Uh, yes, when the when that final draft goes out and we're doing nothing else from our end, it's enjoyable. No, I mean, it, as you said, it's it's a project, it's a lot of work, but you know, it is it is gratifying to see you know when the schedule does come out, you think, hey, we did that, we put it out, and you're seeing the teams travel around the different parts. So I mean, at the end of the day, you can kind of sit back and look at it thirty thousand feet in the air and say, yes, it's it's a long, arduous process, but at the same time, it's good to know that you know your handprints are on the 972 games that are being played uh, each season. Joe Babick, the ECHL's Director of Communications, thank you so much for all that terrific insight on how our schedule gets made year in and year out. And we'll try to be nice to you because, like I said, you did make sure that we are the last team to play the first home game in 1819. There you go. Uh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. And, uh, yeah, on November 3rd next year, you can pop a bottle of champagne in my honor. Big thanks again to Joe Babick, the ECHL's Director of Communications. And, wow, you look at the ECHL, making the schedule has to be, I would even say, one of the top five hardest jobs in this league. Honestly, I might like a crack at it at some point in my lifetime before I end up leaving the sport of hockey, which hopefully won't be for a long time coming. But for now, Joe does a great job with it. Certainly doesn't get enough praise for it with how hard it is to be able to make 27 different teams happy and that is certainly not an easy task to accomplish and it'll be fun to see how his schedule plays out in 1819 and we'll see how favorable it is when the Nailers take the ice for the first time on October 13th when they take on the Norfolk Admirals on the road. Stay up to date with all the latest Wheeling Nailers news by checking out our website wheelingnailers.com. Make sure you're following us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube and more. This has been episode number five of the Toolbox. Hope you enjoyed it. DJ Abacella saying talk to you next week and happy hockey watching.